Welcome to Eternity Now. I'm Senior Pastor and Evangelist Kyle Huckins. We're a U.S.-based church and evangelism movement reaching every color and culture for Christ. Our podcasts, videos, doctrine, history, and much more are on our website, www.eternitynow.com, E-T-E-R-N-I-T-Y-N-O-W.com. This broadcast is made possible by your tax-deductible giving. A gift of $25 a month gets the gospel to 10000 in a year, just three cents a soul. Go to EternityNow.com and click Support Us for more. Thanks for listening. Now for one of my recent messages. We conclude the Fruit of the Spirit sermon series with the most important one, and that is love. As we've been examining the fruit, you probably noticed that they are in precious short supply in this nation and world now. Joy, peace, love. We've become really a country and a world of strangers. We hunker down in our houses. Hardly anything will pry us out except maybe to get some groceries or we have to get a coat or, as we've had recently, snow shovels as well. We know people better on the internet than we do live right next door to us. It's as the disciple Jesus loved said, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? 1 John 4.20. So today we look at the most essential fruit for every single born-again believer. That is love from the love chapter, as it's often called, 1 Corinthians 13. And our message, the fruit of the Spirit, loving as God does. Father God, I pray that you'll order my words today. I pray that you'll send the Spirit to each person listening, watching, right now and at any particular time. I thank you, Lord God, for the chance to be able to bring your word to these people. Lord God, I pray you draw them to relationship with you, salvation, as well as setting apart that sanctification, setting apart to you, and the filling of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of ministry. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, Think about this. Our world is incredibly complex. There are more than 7,000 languages globally, according to the language training people for this. There are 650 different people groups or ethnicity Harvard Institute funds. There are 195 countries, 7.9 billion people in this world from the newborn of the last second to 119 years old right now. They follow over 4,200 religions, and the Christians have 45,000 different denominations. Now, how can we move forward with so much difference, so many challenges, so many gaps? Well, the love of God is produced by the Holy Spirit. Now, you might say there's only a billion or two of those eight billion who even named the name of Christ, let alone actually committed to him and saved. So how in the world can all of this be changed by the Christians? Well, think about this. How many people do you interact with every day? How many people do you interact with just in the course of a week and maybe a month? How many of those people are born-again Christians? There's your answer. Each one of us, even people the most cloistered, Probably have at least a dozen or more people each week, and or people like myself, I would have many dozens in the course of a week. And I would dare say the vast majority are not saved. And so we are 
the salt of the earth, as Jesus said in Matthew 5.13. But we have to remember this too, the rest of that verse. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? And so the earth needs the seasoning of that Holy Ghost, but now it is waning as faith in Christ is going down, is weakening, is lessening in America and beyond. And so we see that greed and contention, as well as false accusation and violence, are coming up more and more and more. People think that politics are so important. Sometimes they will even stage hate crimes to try to blame it on the people they think would be perpetrating it. They dislike others so much to lie and connive to cost them their jobs, their homes, their families, even their lives across this world. They're ultra-sensitive about themselves, but they have no feeling for anyone else. Just think of what it is going to be like shortly when all the born-again people with the Holy Spirit vacate this world for heaven in the rapture. <laughs> Yet, even now, God is love. As 1 John 4.8 says, our hearts do not have to be so hard in the church or in the world right now. The greatest chapter in the Bible about love is 1 Corinthians 13. The context of this is in the chapter just before and in the chapter just after, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth about spiritual gifts. The miraculous ones have been in play. They have been manifested. But the problem is that they do not have that love that they are practicing them in that must be behind their use for them to be effective. And so we start with the first verse of 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Spiritual gifts like miracles, helps, hospitality, all the rest, they help us fit together as the body of Christ. It's just like in an office. You have a secretary. You have somebody who's a scheduler. You have another who is perhaps checking up on clients. Somebody is doing the actual work with the clients. All these people need to be together for that office to work. Well, it's even more detailed and also to a higher spiritual level when you talk about a church. So we need to be together, but we also must have these gifts practiced in love or they will make no difference. The tongues of men and angels talks about what we commonly refer to as Speaking in tongues, one of those controversial gifts. This is a language we don't know naturally. You cannot study and get one of these glossolalia, as they are called in the New Testament Greek. But these are what manifested in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. Everyone heard these in their own language, even from these unlearned, unschooled Galileans, who were a bit like the country bumpkins of their day. Now, God may indeed give us a language prayer or something that would be given to an assembly, a church service, and then interpret it. But if we're using it to seem like we're more than someone else or to send messages that hurt other people, which would not be God, then that's going to bear bad fruit. Verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 13. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains,
hearts that have not love, I am nothing. Isn't that amazing? All of these are spiritual gifts named in the New Testament as well. Prophecy is God speaking through a person with what is going to happen, what is going to transpire. Mysteries, the Lord giving us a fact that we could not know naturally. Knowledge, clarity in applying the word of God to a particular situation. Faith to do great works, and it looks like Jesus is teaching, and Mark eleven twenty three is in view here. He says there, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can say to the mountain, be cast into the sea, and it will be done for you. <laughs> well, that's pretty exciting, pretty interesting. But our Lord is saying through Paul here, if you don't have love behind it, it's not going to be a good testimony of Almighty God. Folks can know the Bible, have good doctrine, go to churches with great statements of faith. But if they don't have that love, they're an abomination unto God. Look what it says, our Lord saying in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. The will of the Father in heaven is to love as you are loved. And to spread that love to other people. Also, to worship God in spirit and in truth without love. We cannot do this. It's just mouthing words or strumming an instrument. Verse 3 says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. This is where the folks in ancient times and medieval days got the practice of burning someone at the stake because they said that they were against the true teachings of Christ. And so they would be burned. They had not loved. Talk about a miscarriage of what this verse is actually supposed to be saying. Some people give to be seen. They say, hey, you know, I give $100 to that cause. Did you see it? I, I gave $100. And you know, next week, I'm going to give $200. Now, Jesus says you have your reward. You really gave to be seen by men and made sure that they saw it. And so you're not going to get anything at all in the afternoon. Or perhaps common today, I'm giving some food to this poor person here. Did you see me giving them bread? Could you get a picture? I can't take a selfie. Could you take a picture for me for self? <laughs> or might you slip a 20 into somebody's hand when nobody's looking? Might you take them around the corner and pray with them when you see that they're distraught? This is what Jesus was talking about. And my experience is that often when you do this the quiet way, <laughs> which you do in secret, the Lord will reward you openly for. <clears throat> now, then comes what is a unique and unexpected description of love, the likes of which has never been seen before or since. Here in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8, turning with verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Now, these descriptions in Greek are very close to those that Paul gives in Galatians 5 for the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. Suffers long means that love is patient. And persevering, doesn't get turned off at the first notion. Kind, serving others' best interests ahead of our own. 
does not envy, is not jealous or covetous, wanting what somebody else has, but we don't. Does not parade itself, avoiding, avoiding boasting or bragging. Boy, people, when you have on one of these very platforms we use, broadcast yourself as the mission and the logo. Uh, it's amazing that we have violated this so clearly. <laughs> also, not puffed up, kept from arrogance, pride, inflated ego. Obviously, there's some great troubles with that today. I have had three careers, ministry, working in media, working in higher education. And I have to testify that in all of them, even ministry, true love is in short supply. So often we think of our money ahead of our master, who is Jesus. And so mammon becomes our master and not the true Lord Christ. Verse 5 says, love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own is not provoked, thinks no evil. All of these are nots, and that's rather interesting. Why would the Lord help to define love by what it is not? Well, it's because the Holy Ghost then gets the greatest latitude to be able to act in the different people, the different situations, the different circumstances that we just established are beyond complex. So he gives boundaries here through Paul as to what is not leaving a lot in play for the spirit to be able to move. So here, not behave rudely. It doesn't act dishonorably or improperly. The person is not going to go around the party with the lampshade on their head. It does not seek its own. It's not looking out for number one. And what does Paul say about these last days? People will be obsessed with self-care. It's not provoked. That is easily angered or offended. We're not talking about somebody being viciously attacked and then perhaps answering. We're talking about people being so defensive that any kind of allusion to something they don't like gets them to snap at you and gets them to lie about you and to accuse you falsely because they are so horribly offended. Love thinks no evil. Literally, this is interesting, doesn't keep an account of wrongs. So let's say that somebody wronged you some time ago, you forgave them, worked it out. You don't keep bringing that up again and again and again with them, or whenever there's some other kind of disagreement, we think the best about someone, not evil of someone else. Our society is so wrapped up, though, in self, it doesn't seem to happen very often. People are wrapped up so tight on just tiny little matters, there doesn't seem to be any perspective. This is a symptom of being alone too much and listening to your own thoughts and those that are also placed by the enemy in our minds as well. People without understanding are also digging up long ago conflicts that they weren't even involved in, don't know much about, like the Civil War. And when you open up an old wound, a lot of times you'll find that there are going to be seven more wicked demons come in and fill it that are worse than that original one that you were trying to cast out. Ephesians 4.15 tells us to speak the truth in love. Correction is love. Saying that you're not supposed to do something can be love. If I have a little son or a grandson, and he's about to go out into the busy street here at Scott's Bluff or Seattle, wherever you may happen to be, and I don't try to stop him, I'm not loving him. By letting him just do whatever he wants, he might get killed. 
You might get horribly injured as well. We have to set those boundaries as the Lord God has set them. They may not like it at the time, these people that we have to correct, but we have to be willing to risk offending. We have to be willing to risk them not being our cuddly friend anymore to do God's best for them. Verse 6 says that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Love does not enjoy sin or injustice. These should be convicting us if we are in the love of God. And it enjoys knowing the truth both in the earthly and the spiritual senses as well. I have never seen a question that ultimately when it was pursued out to its end has reflected negatively upon God or has caused me to question the scriptures. I know that there is a God. I know that what the Bible says is true. I'm not offended by anybody asking questions. I don't have a problem pursuing and checking and seeing what the record is because I've seen the record prove it out more times than I could possibly count. The truth makes us free. Too many people are living a lie today. They have delusional thinking. They think that, oh, because I believe or I feel that I am another gender, that then I am that gender. Well, no, that does not alter a physical reality that is immutable, that is objective, that can be described and tested. And then when they try to move over to that different gender identity, as we call it today, oftentimes they have remorse and suicide is very high. This is a horrible thing. We cannot mess with what the master has put together in his great wisdom. Verse 7, isn't this a beautiful one? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. All positive. Now, I always like to think of that old, old song, accentuate the positive, even the negative. Bears all things means that you withstand. Maybe the weight is heavy sometimes, but you're not going to throw it off. You're going to bear up under it by God's power. Also, believes all things. Trusts in the Lord despite what one sees. Thinking the best of someone. Wouldn't that be nice for a change? Instead of lying and falsely accusing someone these days, wouldn't it be great if somebody actually thought the best of someone else in public or private life? Hopes all things. Expects God's going to come through. Just like we heard in the testimony a moment ago. Amen. God came through. It was against all odds. Hadn't happened in a long time. But bam, when it was needed, there he was, and there it was done. Praise God. And endures all things. Stands its ground and perseveres. Does what's right for the other person and the Lord. When you've done all you know to do, Paul says in Ephesians 6, stand. <laughs> And do you know, that is also what Moses said in Exodus 14. Yet all of the Israelites crying to him. The Egyptians were bearing down on them. They had the sea on one side. They had the mountains on another side. And they had the only route, in or out, on the other. And the Egyptians were bearing down on them. And what does he say? Stand still, and ye shall see the salvation of the Lord. I looked up that Hebrew term. And what that means is to stand firm. It doesn't just mean to stand still as far as physical. No, it's wider than that. It says 
to stand in this conviction that God will deliver us. He led them deliberately in that. It says in Exodus 13, they could have gone a shorter route. They could have had an easier time in some ways, but he didn't want that. God wanted them to know that there will be difficult situations in life. In this world, you will have tribulation. It's not maybe, possibly. You follow Jesus. You will have trouble. But be of good cheer. Take courage. Stand firm. For he has overcome the world. And when we are in him, we overcome that world too. We're about to overcome it by getting out of it. Praise the Lord Jesus. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. After we have seen that last salvation. And verse 8 starts out so beautifully. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Love never fails. That would be more literally, it never comes under condemnation or worship something else. Therefore, becoming obsolete, becoming ineffective. Now, Paul ticks off a few spiritual gifts after saying that love is going to endure, not because they have passed away at this point, not because they are invalid, but because believers sometimes make them their goal rather than giving Jesus Christ to people in his love. Satan can counterfeit spiritual gifts, especially when we view them as the end instead of a means to an end. You see, because we're doing that out of pride or out of some kind of mistaken construct of who God is rather than true faith. These counterfeit spiritual gifts will be shown false in the end. But they also can deceive folks. Remember that Antichrist, who is coming soon, I'm quite convinced that he has already been a leader upon this earth at this point, that he is going to have an unholy religious sidekick called the false prophet. And the false prophet, it says in Revelation, will call down fire out of heaven, just like Elijah. But he's going to be of the devil. <laughs> See, that's a counterfeit spiritual gift. The devil does have some ability. Mostly it's in casting shadows. Mostly it is in riling up people against each other, but he can do a couple things. He can't do nearly as much as God. And in fact, Antichrist will be destroyed by simply the brightness of Jesus coming. He can't stand the light. He's got to be in darkness. <laughs> the devil's counterfeit of love in the church is just buttering up people, <laughs> sending preachers who never discuss sin, never challenge people. To go and possess that land of the 7,500 promises of God's word. Never to evangelize, to tell somebody else about Jesus. Hmm. That is not love. Doing it that way. It's puffery. It's evasion. And really, it's blasphemy. We are not giving our lives to Christ. We're keeping our lives for our own. And a pastor who does that is keeping his own life. Remember, he who seeks to save his life will lose it, Jesus said. But he who loses his life for my sake is willing to do what I say rather than what he just wants. It's popular in this passing world. He's the one who's going to save his life. He's the one who's going to have me for eternity. The other one's going to be with the devil for eternity. Lord, Lord, let us be faithful unto the end. Verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 13. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. <laughs> well, these are contrasting types of knowledge. To know in part means to know by experience. It's like, hey, I know that God is good 
because I've been with him and he's blessed me in so many different ways. Now, to prophesy in part is to understand through divine revelation, like the Bible. Well, I read in the Bible that God is good. And so I know that he is good. The connection here is then I act upon it. And I say, God, show me your goodness. Or I do what he says to be blessed or to do what is right. And then he shows me that goodness, grace, and mercy, and blessing. You see, so knowing in part, prophesying in part, there is a connection. Both are very important types of knowledge. And verse 10, one of the most misinterpreted verses in all of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, 10. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Some say the perfect here is the Bible. Paul's writing the Bible is finished yet. And they say when the Bible was finished, we believe the last book to be written was the revelation of Jesus Christ, maybe about 100 AD by the Apostle John. And all of these miraculous gifts are gone. They're no longer necessary. Does not mean that at all. Looking at the original point A Greek, here is what the sense of the original language is. When I have developed full moral character, completing my spiritual journey, that I only have partially now, whether natural or miraculous, will end. <laughs> when does our spiritual journey end? When we're fully in line with God, right? Are we going to be fully in line with God when we're on this earth before going to be with the Lord? Of course not. Jesus is not what it was, and we killed him for it. <laughs> this is really supposed to be a declaration of humility. Will any of us have the perfect love of Christ? Will any of us live sinfully? Will any of us be truly good? But God himself, even Jesus said, no one is good. But God talking about the Father, this is because he had limitations in the physical body, not that his spirit was compromised in any way. So verse 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. <laughs> you know, when Paul was a kid, he probably played the uh, Tarsus equivalent of Kick the can, <laughs> went hide and go seek. And he loved Mama's pie. It was better than anything else on earth. But you see, he realized later in life that it's much fuller, richer, depending, challenging than he could ever have thought when he was 10 or 11 years old. So much of our lives, we pursue the sex, the money, the recognition, the power, honors in our field, lofty positions on the job. And in society, but you see, all of these are passing away quickly. They always have, but now we see that huge contrast. There's so much confusion now. There's so much contradiction. People don't know what's true and what's false. And to try to please this world day in and day out is a fool's errand, as the old English would say. There's no way to do it. It's a constantly moving target that shall never stop until Jesus Christ shows up. Paul said, 1950 years ago, probably about 65 AD, that brethren, the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they have none. We have deified family life and marriage in the church wrongly. It is better to be single than to be married if you can bear it without fooling around in fornication and adultery. I added that 
last part of the shelf just to make sure you didn't get that wrong. But we have to put God ahead of people. Because if we put God ahead of people, he'll have us take care of them well. You see, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Psalm 37, 25. That's King David. One of the most honest ones you'll ever see in any kind of a government, right? And Jesus comes from David's house. God will take care of us. We don't have to take care of ourselves. He's going to do a lot better than whatever we could do for number one, so to speak. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Very revealing again in the original Greek. We have to understand that ancient mirrors were not like they are today. They were not nearly so clear, so sharp. You might think about the distortions like a funhouse mirror. What this is saying is one has to look in several different angles to be able to get that right reflection. So the sense of this passage is from the Greek. Now we look at the riddle of life from several different angles to try to solve it. But later, I will be able to understand it clearly. Now I am coming to understand through my realizations in life. But then I will know by personal experience, even as I have been known by personal experience. So with whom are we face to face when we end the spiritual journey? God. <laughs> and who has known us by personal experience? And we shall know by personal experience if we are saved. Same one. God Almighty. Yahweh in three persons. And the final verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. I, I love this because the love chapter, yeah, 13 is supposed to be unlucky, right? But here we have 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It's kind of like a little poke in the devil's eye. You know, the author of iniquity and hatreds and the rest. And now abide faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Hmm. Faith, hope, and love are here already. Right? There are people of faith. There are people who genuinely love with the love of Christ. There is the hope of the Lord returning. But of course, none of those are in the fullness yet. None of those are perfected yet. We await the full realization in coming to Christ and having him call us up at any moment now, any second. Literally, nothing has to happen before Jesus Christ calls up his church in the rapture. The greatest of these three is agape. As the Greeks would say, the love of God, the selfless, enduring, eternal, overflowing from age to age, the same perfected love of God. It puts others first by standing on holy ground, the promises of God himself. Doing the Lord's will is more important than looking good with man. Man perishes. God never perishes. This love knows that Jesus is waiting on the other side of the veil between this life and the other life. We're all going to cross over. But where will we go to? Will we go to the hell side of that veil? Or are we going to go to the heaven side once we cross over? That is a question. The Lord is going to give us the power, the gifts, and the favor to accomplish his will on this earth. He has already done all of the works from the foundation of the world, Hebrews 4 says, so we can rest in him. 
All the power and gifts and favor, though, are not the ends in and of themselves. Sometimes we have preachers talk endlessly about financial provision. God gives financial provision. We heard a testimony of that just today. I've got miraculous provision. I've seen God multiply gifts a hundred times. I'm not talking about a dollar. I'm talking about $5,000 and more. Oh, yeah. God's in the finances, but that's the least of it. What did uh, the apostles say to Simon when he said, I want to buy the Holy Spirit with money? They said, oh, your money perish with you. <laughs> oh, he's an iniquity wrapped up with the enemy's thoughts. Well, these, the power, the gifts, and the favor, they're the means by which we can love others. So they don't go to hell. So they see Christ in us. So they are willing to listen to us when we tell them the gospel. Friends, instead of worrying about whether somebody is going to be offended when we tell them how to be saved, why don't we have much more concern for how they are going to suffer endlessly in hell if they don't know him? Cannot we take a tiny risk of someone maybe being perturbed to perhaps save their soul forever? Of course we need to do this. But how many people share their faith in Christ to be given you? Less than one out of 21 of their Christians. <laughs> goodness, goodness. We need to stop focusing on ourselves long enough to focus on God and how important it is for others to focus on God, to know Jesus Christ, to be saved. I can testify that when I try to get something myself, oftentimes I fight my own best interest in it. I end up trying to go after it too hard or going after it in some kind of way that's not helpful, and it becomes even more elusive than it was before. But you see, when I do what God wants me to do, I just keep moving forward toward Christ. I find that God adds these unto me, right? <laughs> You seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things, after which the Gentiles seek, they'll be added. And to you, just got to get your priorities in order. <laughs> Our Lord loves you and me a lot more than we think he does. We get a lot of suffering in life. We think, that, we think there's evidence that God doesn't love us. But no, a lot of it is caused by ourselves, even the smartest, the best of us, so to speak, in a worldly sense. And God has to let us do that or else we'll never come to the recognition that his way is right and that his way is different from this world. Focusing on ourselves, we're always going to be dissatisfied because we're sinful. We're fallen. We're imperfect. Einstein was imperfect. He had a beautiful mind, but I'm sure he offended people. I'm sure that some people didn't like him. Well, that's the way it is, right? But if we focus on Christ, he's perfect. And he loves us with a perfect and everlasting love. Then we will have love, power, and sound mind. And we'll have his joy and peace forevermore. But maybe today you have thought that love is simply trying to please somebody. It's trying to just approve of whatever they do, whatever they say, wherever they go, whatever they believe. Maybe you've wondered why some tough things have happened in your life, even though you've had good intentions. Well, we're all naturally fallen and sinful, and we are in a fallen and very sinful world. And we're seeing war erupt on a major stage for the first time in many years. And it's reminding us of the kind of hell that we visit upon one another. 
God wants to help us to see that our plans as people are going to come to nothing outside of him. But his plans are going to succeed and they will bear everlasting fruit. There will be those in the millennium to come in which this world will be perfected. All of the nature of man and the beast is going to be changed. The adder will be able to play with a little newborn. and There'll be no problem at all. He'll giggle and the snake will probably smile himself if capable. <laughs> you see, the Lord is going to do the best, not only for himself, but for all of us. You see, our best interests are inextricably twirled and caught up with Father God's as well. We've learned today the supernatural love of Jesus Christ. He walked in this life perfectly without sin. He helped others to see that they are mistaken and that they needed his father, God. And through coming to him and through him, they could access God the Father. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He set free those who are in prison in their minds. And don't you know that those who are imprisoned in mind by the regrets, the difficulties, the hardships that have been visited upon them are in a worse situation than those who are in a physical prison but have found Jesus Christ there. The Lord taught his disciples to do the same, to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to liberate the captive as well, and to lead others into God's love, perfect peace, and everlasting joy. Do you need that love today? Do you need the compassion of Christ? Do you need that kind of putting others first? that is going to conquer the world and rescue you from a devil's hell. Yes, for eternity. Amen. Amen. Praise God. There are four essentials to salvation. Repent of sin. All of us have it, but we all need to get rid of it. How do we do that? Through Jesus Christ. And turning away from it, asking God to deliver us from it, and for him to forgive us our trespasses against him. We also confess Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the only one who lived perfectly. He was the perfect sacrifice, putting away the hundreds of rules from the Old Testament. We don't have to observe them anymore. But when we're saved, God's spirit comes in and he changes us so that we are purified and that we can be a great living epistle accurately read by all men of our Lord. We believe that Jesus Christ rose in body and in spirit. He didn't just rise in the spirit of the church. Surely there is that. The church expanded amazingly from 11 faithful disciples who were scared to 2.2 billion people today and billions throughout history. But he rose physically more real than you or I because he could cross dimensions. He could appear in a room without opening the door. He was able to speak to them and they could hear but not see him. It's amazing this kind of body that Christ has had after being cruelly put to death on that cross for our sins. But our body and our spirit must be resurrected. And so we must believe that Christ's body and spirit were as well. And then we follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. He is the only one who can be our master. When we say, well, is it going to be man as our master or God? We've got to say God is going to be our master. Whether it's government or whether it's job, or whether it's church, we've got to follow Jesus and not the world when they conflict. And we're going to do that imperfectly. I do it imperfectly. George is imperfectly. 
everybody except Jesus has done it imperfectly. And so we just repent. We ask God for forgiveness, and he is faithful and just to forgive us that. And he'll also give us the power to be cleansed from all unrighteousness as well. I'm going to lead you in a prayer now. You can repeat after me if you like. You can summarize the other four points if you want to. But why don't you do it now rather than putting it off? Because the devil will come in and say it's nothing. There's nothing to it and all the rest. But friend, as surely as I'm standing here, as surely as I preach the word of God over 20 years, as surely as I care about you and love you and know the Lord Jesus Christ myself, I know that he's going to come against you. And so go ahead and do it now so that you don't get caught in that demonic trap of putting it off. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Father God, forgive me of my sins. I turn from them by your power. I confess Jesus Christ died for them. I believe he rose in body and spirit the third day in the tomb. I make him my Lord and my Savior following him. Come into my heart. Change me. Save me. Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. That little word, a good four-letter word, which means so be it in Hebrew. Now, if you have prayed that, then you have begun a journey into Christ. The prayer is not the journey, but the prayer is the beginning of the journey. And so now it's putting another foot in front of another every day, every moment, until Jesus takes us up, either by death or by rapture. How do we do this? Okay, a few basic steps. First of all, get baptized in water. Jesus commanded this, and he did it himself, though he was the one person in the history of the earth who didn't have to have it because he had no sin. He wanted us to make a public profession, a physical profession of him, not just thinking. Next, read the Bible. How do we discern all of these different spirits that have gone out into the world? Oh my goodness, some people are saying that. Uh, you get this kind of uh, speaking, hearing voices and such, that this is God. <laughs> you know, no, the, the voices in that case are not God. They're from the enemy. Okay, We have to know what is God's voice, what is not God's voice. Judge it by the word of God reading scripture. Yes, the Holy Spirit will bring to it to your remembrance, but if you've never read it, then he can't help you remember. <laughs> Pray. 7,500 promises in the scripture by one good count. And so you've got more than 20 for every day. But how do you know what they are? Read that Bible and pray that you possess them. Maybe today you don't have peace in your heart or your spirit. Well, Jesus says, I leave you my peace. I give it to you, not as the world gives, but as my father gives. Right before he went to the cross. And had the worst kind of pain inflicted on him physically and everywhere else, every way else in the world, right? So we've got to pray, God, give me your supernatural peace. In Jesus' name, amen, and it will happen. Come to church, come to a Bible-believing and practicing church. Always underline that second part, and practicing church, which we are. 
We're small, we're new, but you see, God is here. We can feel God with us, and we know he's with us by his word, you see. And we want to know you. We want to go to dinner with you. We want to have a coffee with you. We want to hear you on the phone. You can take my phone number and run with it as well. 806-463-8793. Text me, call me. I'm just fine with it. Also, fellowship with other believers. Become friends. Spend time outside of services with Christians. We live 168 hours a week, not uh, taking off one for church. You see, you know, it's like we're not supposed to just confine it to worship services. Those are important just to come together and minister and learn about the Lord, learn about each other. But we've got to take that other 167 hours and spend those with each other, too, at least some of them. And pursue personal relationship with Almighty God. He knows all about you already, but do you know all about him? Of course not. At the end, eternity will never end, but we'll not know everything even then. But more and more and more, as you learn about him, more and more and more you understand and are closer to him, the more peace you will have, the more joy you will have, the more power you will have, the better you'll be able to stand, the better you'll be able to testify, the better you'll be able to speak the truth of love, the better you're going to have love, power, and sound mind. That's what it's about today. Get to know God. The best way to make sure that you're faithful all the way to the end Get close to Jesus as you can. Pray, read the scripture, be with his people, come to his church, lift him up, get wet and get in that old baptistry as you need to. We at Eternity Now appreciate your listening to this program. For more, including links to all our broadcasts and social media, go to www.eternitynow.com. E-T-E-R-N-I-T-Y-N-O-W dot C-O-M. We have over a hundred videos on YouTube, and you can watch our services live there as well as Facebook, Twitter, and more. On our website, you also can email me, Pastor Kyle Huckins, and I'll respond personally. I welcome your prayer requests, questions, and comments. Again, that's EternityNow.com. May God bless you and keep you, cause His face to shine upon you, and give you peace.